So we as the church then should be messengers of God's gospel. And unfortunately, uh, at least unfortunately to my wife, she says I'm also a messenger of memes. And I tend to talk a lot about memes in, in, our, in my sermons. And so the one that I'd like to share with you today, it's like this challenge that has been going on recently. It's really weird. It's called a, the bottle cap challenge. So what it is is there's all these videos of people that will put on, on the table uh, a water bottle. And then what's going to happen is someone is going to have a still shot and they're right in front of the water bottle. What they do is they're going to go and then they would kick around. And then they would just kick enough so that the water cap is thin and it would come off. So like everyone's trying to do it and I've seen so many fail videos of people like tripping over, people like knocking water bottles, hitting other people's faces and all sorts of stuff. So it's a really weird thing. But why am I talking about this? So I was talking with my my massage therapist the other day and we got into this topic of uh, uh, of sports, and he told me that he's a karate black belt. And so I was talking to him, oh, that's so cool. Like, how long did it take you to become a black belt? And he was telling me that he started when he was young, and it took him 17 years before he got his black belt. And so I was like, wow, that's a lot of dedication right there. But then I, I was like a little too embarrassed. I was telling him, oh, I also have a Taekwondo black belt. I got it in two years when I was like a kid. And, and then he was like, yeah, you know what? Back in the day, we or, or even now, we we in our our dojos make fun of these people. We call them McDojos. So what happened is they're like McDonald's of of of, of martial arts. So what happened is they they would usher in people, and and they're really doing it for profit, trying to rush them through different stages of their martial arts program, so that they would be a black belt, and take their really quick and expensive exam, and they'll be a black belt, and and they'll be from white belt to black belt in a matter of like two, three years. And if you actually go out and have them go in competition and fight other legitimate martial artists, they would get their butts kicked. And, and, and I could understand, like I was talking to this guy and he was saying how his black belt exam was actually eight hours long, like for a whole day, trying to go through all these different techniques and stuff. And so for me, I was like, yeah, I stopped talking about Kung Fu or martial arts. After that. I felt so ashamed. Because if you really look at it, like if you're really going through these programs without really any foundation and it's very hollow, it gets really ridiculous. It's like there's no meaning. It's like it's not really getting anywhere, right? Like, it's very, very disappointing. And, and, and the problem is sometimes when you think about it, it's kind of like that in, in churches where when we go and say we're going to make new Christians and we're going to baptize them and yay, we're done. And they're good to go. They do their own thing and we can let them be and they can serve and they can grow whatever and we're fine. And, and, and part of it ends up being kind of like these McDojos where we have programs and we say we run them through a one-year program or if not a two-year program and then they're good to go and we can just graduate them and let them be and they're fine. But is this really what G- 
Jesus has taught us. Jesus taught us when he was commissioning us at the Great Commission. What, what exactly was Jesus trying to say when he taught us about this charge to us to make disciples? So I'm sure you guys have heard this passage over and over and over. And so as it goes, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And so, we've heard this being preached over and over and over and over every year. And last time when Pastor Sam came and shared with us, he taught us that the main idea in this whole passage was about making disciples. And so we, we try to get very creative and we try to make disciples and we do different ways and, 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 and eventually get to the point where we're like holy, worldly with the holy, trying to, to get people into believing and following God. But a lot of the times we forget that making disciples is not just a noun. It's not just something that you can pin into and say, okay, this thing is making disciples. But it's an ongoing action. Like you're constantly at work in this person, that there is one person who is a discipler discipling this disciple to become more like the disciple. And the disciple himself is also being discipled by the great disciple of Jesus to become more like Jesus. But what really does this even mean? Like the idea of making disciples in the context of Jesus. Like in order to understand this great commission, we have to go back to the very original context in the first century when Jesus was in the time when Jewish people are making disciples. What is the big deal? them when we're talking about making disciples. And so to understand that, we need to go all the way to the roots at the time when the rabbis are discipling these young Jewish kids to become Israel's next greatest rabbi. And it's not like Americans got talent where they have a judge panel and they just show up and they show off their skills and you're good to go, and then you become a disciple. There's a whole learning process behind getting to where you are in order to make your own disciple. So what happened is when the Jewish people, when, when the Jewish kids were at around the age of five or six, they would start to memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And how it initiates is, the rabbi would bring them to the, to, the, to the temple and they would come to the, to the squirrels where the, the, the text is in front of them. And what the rabbi does is he would smear some honey and he would put it on the text. And what happened is as they read, they don't just read the text, they would usually point their fingers and scroll down each of the words. Actually, they read right to left, so they go like this. And whenever they touch the touch the squirrels, and they would all just smush the honey. And the rabbi, I know it's not very sanitary, so the rabbi would ask the kids to then lick it onto their tongue. 
So it's kind of like that symbol. And the rabbi would give a blessing to these kids saying, may the words of God be like honey to you so it will be sweet and nourishing in the way you follow your journey of faith. So they go through that. So at around age of 9 or 10, they would finish memorizing entire five books of the Old Testament word by word. Then the ones who are really good at it would go to this place called Beth, Mid- Beth Midrash, which is kind of like the elementary school of Bible study in, in the Jewish culture. So these guys would go and they would not just memorize the Torah now. They would study the Torah. They would try to read like commentaries by, by famous rabbis on how to interpret the different laws of, of, of the Torah. And so around the age 12 then, they graduate from this school. And so the, the, better, the better ones would want to pursue more studies because they want to be rabbis. So they would go and take this um, interview test kind of thing with uh, the teachers in the second the secondary school, kind of like a second secondary school called Beth Talmud. And so these teachers would then ask questions, and it's really it's really funny. They would talk to these kids, and they would ask, "Oh, uh, and 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 the way Jewish learning works is you don't answer." in sentences. You actually answer with even more questions. And that way, it shows that you know your stuff. So it's kind of like an ongoing je- jeopardy. So, so the rabbi would be like, who is Joseph? And then the, the student would be like, who is the brother of Judah? Who is Jacob's son? Uh, and they go on and on and on and on. They're like, oh, oh like what is, uh, what is Abraham's uh, Abraham's wife's name, and then like, who is Isaac's mom? Who is uh, who? Who is the, the the second generation of the covenant? And then and then they go on and on and on, and and until the rabbi thinks that this guy really knows the stuff and can really interpret the stuff, then they would take them on and go to this place called Beth Talmud, and they would go and they start learning even more in depth interpretation and really study what it means to, to live out these laws and what it means to, to, to know the ins and outs and exceptions of these laws. And eventually, they would hit about the age of 15 or so. Then the best of the best of the best, these are like the, the cream of the crop of, of, of students. And they would go and say, okay, I really want to be a teacher. I want to be a rabbi. And so in order to do that, they would go to these famous rabbis and they would ask, can I be your disciple? Can I learn under your wings so that I can be that next great rabbi of this tradition? And so the rabbi would go and do the same thing and ask these questions. They'd be like, how many times has the word blood appeared in the Old Testament? And name me five different occurrences and how it was interpreted and who were the person that wrote this part and what was the meaning behind it. Like they would do that like, you have to list out, oh, this is from Second Kings, and this is from, from, from the book of, uh, of, of Judges, and so on. And then you have to tell them all these different details of the story. And then eventually, the rabbi would think, oh, this guy is worthy to take on my mantle, and that he can carry on to become the next 
person to pass on these wisdom that I have. So then that's when they officially enter into a covenant as a discipler and discipleship. And so when that happens, this is really intense stuff. The disciple would drop everything they do. They would leave their homes and they would follow the master wherever they go. Every place, every time, everywhere. They would sleep in the same room as the master. They would eat the same meal. And they're trying to imitate every little detail. If the, if the rabbi would scratch his head before he starts eating, the disciple would also start scratching his head before he starts eating. If the master would skip step as he walked, then the disciple would also start learning to skip step as he walked. And everywhere, and I mean everywhere, the master goes, the disciple follows. Even when the master is going to the toilet, sorry for the details, the disciple would follow the master to the toilet. And he would offer a prayer of blessing to the master, saying, may the bowel movement be pleasing to God. Well, I'm not joking. This is real. Like, you look at the, the, the text. That's how intense it gets. And so, there's a really deep sense of intimacy in discipleship back in the day. That it's not just, here's a program, get through it, you're done, go and do your own thing. But there's a really long period of intimacy that day in and day out, the master is holding nothing back and pouring everything they know onto the disciple. And as a disciple, you're cherishing every single opportunity in order to learn everything about the master, to be almost an identical clone of that master so that he then can train that next generation to be like his master. So this is a really big deal in the Jewish culture. And so you might ask, then what happens to those who didn't make the cut? What happened to those who fail their so-called exam with the master or with their potential master? So if, they, if the master thinks you're not good enough, he would just tell this guy that, good try, or you, you try your best, but you didn't make the cut. So why don't you go back to your father and continue on and take over the family business? and do whatever your, your dad was doing. Or they may be a carpenter, a baker, a fisherman, or, or, or uh, herbalist. Like, go do whatever your, your dad was doing and continue on that, that journey. And so, of course, people would be really upset. They invest all that to become a disciple, but they didn't make it. And so, this comes to where we're at in today's passage. And as I was studying and looking through this Great Commission, I got really fascinated by the word therefore. It was right before the, all these commands of like, go make disciples of all nations, go do these things, baptize people, teaching them. Why did Jesus go and say therefore? And as we know, when we read the Bible, whenever the word therefore shows up, we need to know what comes before it. What is the point so that Jesus would say Therefore, and so the sentence that went before this was, all authority has been given to me. 
all authority has been given to me. And so this is actually to us, we're like, well, we look at it, Jesus is the Son of God, so he is all-powerful, and it makes a lot of sense when he say, oh, like, he gives us the authority so we can do it and, and give you the chance to do it. But if you read this whole Jewish discipling context, then, there's actually a lot more going on. There is a big deal when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me and, and them to you. In order for a disciple to so-called graduate and start having their own dojos and, and, and train their own disciples, they have to first be commissioned by their own masters and say they're worthy. And so at this commissioning kind of ceremony, the master would go to the disciple and say, I now grant you the authority to pass on these teachings so that you will be continuing on this blessing to bless the generation after you and after you and so on. And so when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, he's saying that we are given that mantle now and we are given the approval that it's not like anyone can make disciples back then, but the fact that because our master is Jesus, we now also, each one of us, is capable of making disciples ourselves. Not because of how amazing we are, but because of who our master is. And so this also is about a discipleship of togetherness, as you can see. It's not just go do something and you go off and you do you kind of thing. You actually have to walk alongside. The discipler has to walk alongside together with the master. And the master has to invest their entire life. That once they start taking on disciples, their learning is no longer about learning for themselves, but they're learning to pass on. Their goal is to pass on everything he can to his disciples. And it's an ongoing journey of being together. And more importantly, too, as you're going through this discipling together, what's so powerful is that Jesus wasn't waiting for people to show up and be like, I want to be your disciple. But Jesus was the one that go and find these people and say, come and follow me. Be my disciple. And at that culture back then, it's a really big deal that you, you, you talk to these 15, 16 year olds who didn't make the cut to become rabbis. And one day, to hear from a rabbi telling you that you are worthy, that you can come and follow me and learn everything that is to learn from me, so that one day all authority will be given to you and you can make her a disciple. This is a groundbreaking thing in their culture, to have a master go and find their own disciple. To have the master come and find their disciple. And so part of us being Christians, part of us growing in our journey of faith, 
is not just a matter of just doing all these different things. It's not about participating in programs. It's not about finishing certain certifications so that we say we are worthy because of these certifications. But Jesus is telling us there is a sense of being that we're trying to strive to become. There is a need to be incarnational. A need to be incarnational. And the word incarnational comes from the Latin word carne, which means flesh. And this is the same word where you go and see the word chili on carn. That carn does actually mean meat. It means there's meat in the chili. And so the word incarnational means your flesh and blood is present with people. You're physically being together with the people that you are interacting with. And as Jesus was showing that, demonstrating that to us, up until the point of commissioning, that's the life that he was living. He was spending almost every single moment of his ministry with his disciples. And his goal is to impart that wisdom. How does it look like to live out a life after God? How does it look like when you're redeemed, when you are saved by God, to live out this life of grace, justice, thanksgiving, and reconciliation with the world. And so the call for the Great Commission is something that is very simple, but something that is also very challenging. It's not just the idea of go and do this. It's not just the idea of go and make something happen. But just as Jesus has continually done in the book of the Gospel of John, every time he encounters those he wants to minister to, he would tell them, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And this is not an easy thing. You're not just pointing some instruction to people and telling them to do it. You're telling them and bringing them along and that you are going to be spending almost the rest of your life being together with them, serving them, teaching them, guiding them to the way of God. And in order for someone to follow, there has first to be someone who can lead. And so we first have to continually be leading and living out that life and, and interacting in this life with the lives that we're, we're encountering so that we can live out the life of discipleship. And so when we talk about this whole theme then this year, 50th anniversary theme of Bless to Bless, we, we can't really talk about this without talking about the concept of discipleship, about this idea of incarnational. And I think the simple English word with really summarizes. With is such a small and insignificant word, but it conveys so much meaning. Whenever someone is going through distress and you say, I am with you throughout all these, that is a very strong statement to encourage someone. When someone is going through anxiety on whatever they're trying to accomplish, whatever they're trying to do, and when you tell them, I am with you, 
to walk you through this. That is a really strong word. And when someone is learning to become a Christian, someone who just learned about this faith, and you tell them, I will be with you to help you grow, to help you further along this journey, that is a really strong commitment and statement that you're making to this person's life. It might be a tall task, and I'm not going to lie, it's very challenging. And for me, I had a little glimpse of that as well this, this, past, um, this past week doing Sacrifice. And I got voluntold into making, an, uh, uh, making a giraffe. And I totally have no clue how to make a giraffe. And I, when I showed up, I inherited this cardboard box and a tube. And they were like, turn a giraffe out of this. And I'm like, okay. And so, so I worked with a few people, and much to my surprise, there was this young gentleman that decided to help me, and he, was, he just showed up. He was like, oh, uh, is there anything I can help you with? And I was like, oh, help me glue this giraffe together. And so he worked really quietly and diligently, and, 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 and I didn't really do much. I didn't offer much, and, and I realized all I can really offer, because I really don't know how to make it myself, it's just to, to be with him and walk it together and encourage him to tell him that he's doing great, he's doing well, and if he doesn't know what to do, then I'll be like, oh, let's try this together. I don't really know what to do, too, but let's figure it out. And, and I feel that through that, like, I grew closer with this person. Like, for the longest time, I actually didn't know his name, and I just like, hi, like, whenever I see him on Sunday, but... Now I can pinpoint his name. His name's Nicholas, and I can actually work with him and, 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 and actually know more about him. And I think that's what discipleship is sometimes. Like, let's not try and force programs. Let's not try and just think of programs. These are great, but these are just tools. But for us, let's start off getting to know the people around us. Be intentional and incarnational. Let's like get to know their lives for the sake of getting to know their lives, that we truly just want to know them. We want to spend time with them. We want to waste time together and draw ourselves closer so that through that mutual connection, we can learn, we can grow, and we can experience God as we do these big and little things together. And as much as something that seems pretty big commitment and really hard, we don't have to worry because there's someone who first made that commitment with us. Someone who said that surely he will be with us always to the very end of age. That no matter how difficult it may be, how hard some people we might find very hard to, 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 to draw close to people that we don't know how to interact with. As long as we make presence and commit to be with that person for the sake of learning about them and loving them and caring for them. Something that are more like coincidence would happen. Things would slowly fall into place and relationships are grown, and who knows, maybe that person can be your mentor or your mentee down the road. So, 
even when we talk about all these commands to baptize, to teach, these things can only happen if we embody these underneath the whole concept of true discipleship, true genuine discipleship where we go and get to know people, go and love people, go and genuinely make life on life interaction and connections. And so there are different opportunities in our community. And I'd love to challenge you that in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years, just spend some time and get to know people that you might have not known before. And maybe they'll have stories that they can share that would really surprise you. They might have things that you can actually learn something about that fascinates you. Or maybe even like people who are younger than you can be your mentor. You never know. There are some skills that they might possess. Or even just the genuineness of heart that you want to model after through their being. So just make some time and see where God leads you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege to be discipled first by you and to also be disciplers after you, to those we interact. And in the lives that we in, engage in, the people that we are able to, to witness together, may you empower us so that we're not just doing things, but we're also using our presence in order to draw each other closer and to you as well. We thank you in Christ's name.